Welcome in to a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, joined by football analyst William Gardner. William, uh, first off, Happy New Year. How did uh, the holidays go for you in the wife? It was nice. It's always nice. Uh, happy uh, New Year to you as well. Uh, I guess everybody's kind of hoping 2022 will be better than 2021. So fresh start. Um, and we just had a we just had a nice holiday. Uh, you know, count your blessings, I guess, given what happened in in between Christmas and New Year's around here. Yeah. Yeah, and it's never a dull moment when it comes to CU football either, and really not anywhere in college football, just because of NIL in the transfer portal and coaches leaving. And you know, coaches leaving has been a trend for a while now, but it seems even more so now, just nationally. And so, yeah, it's uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. This is going to be an additions and subtraction show where we break down a long list of guys that are coming into the program or leaving the program. A lot to digest there. William, you know, there's some people that think NIL might end up being the death of college football. I don't want to get quite as dramatic as that, but I definitely don't like the way the sport that we love and talk about on this on this podcast is trending with, with the way things seem to be going. Well, I think it remains to be seen. You know, it, it used to be December was kind of a quiet period. If you were in a bowl game, you were getting ready for that. Otherwise, there wasn't much going on. Then they moved to early signing day to December. And that sort of has changed. I think that has a big impact on how they hire and fire coaches because they got to get it done sooner um, for recruiting purposes, I guess. And then NIL comes in and I don't know, I guess I'm on the opposite end of most people with this NIL thing. I just don't think it's going to be as big of a deal as people think, because I just don't think there's going to be that much money going around for people and your average guy on a middle of the road team um, it's just not going to have access to a lot of that. I, I, I just don't see what the what the payoff is going to be for people to put a lot of money into it. And outside of the usual schools that win everything anyway, I'm not sure it's going to have much of an impact. It just it's hard because there's just this lack of organization in college sports, and that's what makes me a little less optimistic. I, I do try to live my life through an optimistic lens and you're always going to have that purity of game day of being in Boulder on a fall Saturday and Ralphie and the community feel the tailgating, the overall experience is still there. But I do wonder if a program like CU can compete in this new environment. Um, obviously there's a lot of money flowing into college football. It just feels like it's a 20 year old that gets their paycheck and has it blown within 24 hours, you know, yeah. In, in, a perf- in a perfect world, there'd be a limit on how much money can be spent on coaching salaries. And then you could increase the amount of student athletes, athletes stipend. And that way you wouldn't necessarily need to have that NIL out there. You could have, you know, the, the stipend be increased and, and Hey, maybe cap, the, you know, the, the cap on coach salaries goes up the longer a coach has been at a school to provide some incentive for this, this movement to slow down. And then, because recruits more oftentimes than not pick a school based on who recruited them there rather than the factors in today's environment that really should be important to them. It, it really does come down for most recruits who's recruiting them, but, but these changes should have been made a long time ago. And, and without that better leadership in college football, it, it kind of does feel like the wild, wild West out there. Uh, as a friend of mine says though, now, I mean, you, you can't put the tooth, the toothpaste back in the tube. I mean, at this point, it's going to be hard to, 
to reel it back in? Well, I think, you know, I think it's entirely natural for kids to, to choose the school where they make the best relationships. I think most of us do that when we're looking for jobs and things like that. We, we weigh all the different factors, but in the end, the people that we connect with best has a big impact on, on the jobs we choose and things like that. So I don't know that it's a bad thing. I, I mean, I guess that really comes is the bottom line in recruiting is can you connect with people and develop relationships? Because I think the two biggest thing that, that players coming out of high school are looking for is they want to win and they want to have a relationship with somebody that they think cares about them. And so, you know, if you can convince them that you care about them, you're a leg up. CU's problem is we don't win a lot. So we have to convince them that they're going to come in and change that and be part of things. Uh, I don't think I really honestly don't think the NIL is going to matter at the level we compete anyway. I think it's going to perhaps make a difference to the 10 or so teams that are in the running for the playoffs every year, but the kind of kids we're recruiting, they're not going to get huge NIL offers from somewhere else. It's not going to make a difference to the kind of guys. I think that we need to be seven and eight win team. Um, you know, and if you look at the kind of schools that we're going to compete with at that level, they're not big traditional blue blood schools that are going to be able to throw a lot of NIL money at kids either. So I don't really see this NIL thing having a huge impact outside of those, you know, 10 or maybe 20 schools that are traditionally in the, in the running for the playoffs. So we'll see how it goes, but yeah, I mean, college sports has always been reactive and not proactive. And so things happen and then they try to figure out what to do about it, which is too bad. Um, And there's been a lot of change in the last 10 years and uh, not a lot of figuring out how to work with it. So in, in the end, different programs end up handling it in their own way. And those who figure out how to adapt best have the best success with it, I guess. Before we start going down this list of additions and subtractions in, with the CU football program, we got to throw out our thoughts and prayers with those affected by the Marshall Fire, uh, the house I lived in. Uh, for a while was right next to the target that burned down. I was told that whole neighborhood's gone. I haven't had a chance to make it down there to, uh, you know, see the old stomping grounds did have a couple of acquaintances that lost their house. They're doing okay. They're, they're out, they're safe. They got their animals out, have some other friends that still live in the area that, you know, one of them, uh, his house is one of only a few in his whole neighborhood that survived. And so he feels fortunate, but I think what the estimate is somewhere between 600 and a thousand homes lost in this fire and it's just brutal it's such a wonderful area there but yeah you you talk about the the lack of moisture that we've had here until this recent snowstorm and gusts of up to 105 miles an hour that was just not uh you know we we still haven't got definitive word on the cause of the fire there's definitely uh, some video out there that seems to point to a shed on fire that, that created this but uh just just heartbreaking overall well, and I think, you you know, it's kind of the perfect storm with high winds like that. It's kind of crazy because usually the, the things that really contribute to big fires like that are, are uh, high temperatures, which it was not. Um, and then, you know, usually you're thinking about forested areas. So there's big trees and dry brush and whatever. And this seemed to me to be mostly grasslands. And when I first heard about it, I thought, well, how big can a grass fire get? Well, I guess you could see um, when it's when it's pushed up with winds like that and you have a dry uh, early, early autumn and winter, like we had here. And, uh, you know, maybe that's a harbinger of things to come. Uh, 
if things continue to be dry, but it, it was kind of ironic. I mean, you know, if this, if this, if it had happened a day later with the snow, it wouldn't happen. Yeah. I mean, it just kind of the ghost. I was thinking that as was out the very next day, it was snowing hard. And I was thinking, man, if this snow had come a day earlier or the fire had started a day later, it'd been no issue. And isn't it crazy how close things are in life that way sometimes, but I guess it does really give you perspective. You know, we, we, all of us on the board kind of live and breathe with football, but at the end of the day, almost kind of doesn't matter sometimes. Yeah. But it's a, also a good distraction at times too, right? So uh, right. let's go down this list of guys that uh, are coming and going. And let's start with actually Colorado's first commitment for the class of 2023. And that comes from Cam Beiser from Yates High School in Houston. William, this is a good looking first commit for the Buffs. You know, good size for an edge prospect. Had a ton of sacks as a junior. Doesn't really have an extensive offer list at this point, but did have a Cal offer. It feels like the type of prospect this staff is probably going to have to keep fighting to keep on their commitment list just because his upside seems to exceed his early offers. Yeah. And I watched his, the video that's available on him and what really stands out to me, he can really run. He's a very fast kid. You know, they list him as a defensive lineman, but he's not going to be a hand on the ground defensive lineman unless we're planning to go to a four man front, which I'm wondering more about as we continue to sign more guys in this sort of size range, which would fit for a, a four a four man front defensive end, but the way he runs, I could see him. I think he'd be fine as a stand up outside linebacker as well. But he looks to me, he plays fast and he's got a great motor. Um, he got that Cal offer, got got our offer, so I think he's like you say, uh, going to be another guy uh, like a couple guys we saw last year that is going to blow up over time. He's not going to be the d- defensive line kind of guy. He, I mean, we're just don't look at this guy thinking he's going to get up to 290 or 300 because that's not what he is. He's an outside linebacker, an edge player, like you say, uh, and I think a guy who can get after the quarterback. Uh, it, it looked to me like he mostly is rushing and playing up, up front, so didn't really see him in that film dropping back into coverage too much. But I think he is a very exciting prospect. And, again, what stands out to me is how fast he is. And Cam has been getting a new phone set up, so I haven't had a chance to do a full interview with him, but we've been DMing back and forth, and that might happen today. So by the time you listen to this, uh, maybe we'll have more on Cam and his decision to pick the buffs up on buffstampede.com. Let's kind of go back and forth here between additions and subtractions to kind of split up the positivity and the negativity on this podcast, William. Uh, Let's start with a huge subtraction here. It's Brendan Rice, you know, the best big play threat on the team led the team with 822 all-purpose yards in 2021, uh, was really electric uh, as a first-year freshman, averaged 26.4 yards per touch. He's not currently on the level of, of a Paul Richardson or a LaVisca Chenault or even really a Nelson Spruce in terms of his consistency, but he's still a young guy and still a guy that's going to keep getting better. And he just played with so much tenacity this past year was one of the few guys offensively that you never question their effort level. And so this, this is a tough hit still at a position where you got some talented guys, but especially from a perception standpoint, this is a tough loss. And uh, you've seen a lot of really ugly behavior from some people on Twitter as a result of this, that maybe is, uh, uh, you know, I, I know it's not just CU fans, the CU fan base and, you know, other fan bases, uh, it, it's kind of a sign of our times now with, with social media, but uh, I haven't liked the, the reaction I've seen out of, out of a few people on social media with, with him leaving. 
Yeah, I think I think Brendan Rice is a is a big loss, and you know, you say he's not at certainly he's not at the level yet of uh, Paul Richardson or Lavisca Chenault, but I wonder would he be if the offense wasn't so bad last fall? Uh, you know, I think part of the, I think the biggest reason it seems very clear to me at this point, given what he said, that the biggest reason he's leaving is to find an offense that will give him more catches and more touches and let him show what he can do. And I think he is probably very frustrated with his lack of production last fall um, and probably, you know, looking at the new offensive coordinator and thinking there's going to be a run type of offense and not throw him the ball that much. So I wonder if we'd have had a more effective offense, would he have exploded this past season the way that LaVisca did his second year and things like that. So I don't know. It's hard to say, but I, I definitely think he's got the talent to, to eventually get close to that level. Um, and we'll see where he winds up. Um, but there's really no way to sugarcoat that this is a big loss to us. I mean, there's still some talent in that wide receiver room, but he was unquestionably the, the top guy and the one with the star power. Um, you know, there's not much to be said about the way some people are handling it on social media. It's just pitiful and pathetic and is really sort of the, the worst part of social media that we see. We see it in so many different parts of life now, but I don't know, you know, you can be upset and disappointed, but uh, you still need to act with some class, I think. Yeah. It, here's the thing is most guys hit the portal and they're gone. It's pretty rare that a guy enters the portal and, and comes back, but they can. And Brandon yeah. Rice hasn't completely closed the door on CU and they have a receivers coach to hire. So right, right. now I definitely wouldn't set your expectation that he's going to stay at CU, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Well, I think, you know, I think that I always think about it in terms of human psychology, you know, I worked with a lot of kids over a lot of years and I, my undergrad was psychology and, you know, for most people, it takes a lot to make that decision to make a big change like that. And so by the time you actually put yourself in the portal, you have wrapped your mind around it yourself and you've already made that internal decision. And, and by actually taking a step to go into the portal, it, it, it tends to uh, solidify that decision for you. I think with both Rice um, and with Christian Gonzalez, I'm not sure it's a done deal, but we'll wait and see. Fingers crossed. I wouldn't bet big money, but I don't think the door is completely shut there. And depending on who we get for our wide receivers coach, maybe he comes back. I don't know. I, I do think that he is uh, noticeably more talented than anybody else in that wide receiver room. So it is a big loss. Yeah. Let's move along here and lump these together, William. You have an addition in a new cornerbacks coach in Rod Chance following the subtraction of Demetrius Martin, a cornerbacks coach swap with Oregon. Does this feel like an even trade to you? No, I think we win. I, I, I To me, it feels like we got the better end of this deal, perfectly frankly. I think, uh, I don't know, I, there's, there's certainly nothing wrong with Demetrius Martin as a, a cornerbacks coach and a recruiter, but I think Rod Chance is um, more of an up and comer and, and more energetic in his recruiting. And, you know, it's, it's always hard. And we'll talk about this with one of our other new coaches, but where, uh, you know, he signed some significant players at Oregon, three, four star guys in the last couple of years. Now it's a lot easier to sign those guys at Oregon. No question about it. Uh, but I'm looking forward to him bringing that to Colorado and he's got a lot of young energy and, um, I just think we got the better of that deal. Okay. 
he did have a connection there with Carl Durrell. They both worked on Vanderbilt staff back in 2014. Like you said, a, a young coach with a good reputation. Also had a year stint as a cornerbacks coach at Minnesota. It was interesting when Demetrius Martin came in, everybody expected him to sign a bunch of blue chip cornerbacks because he had a pretty good reputation on that at some previous stops in the Pac-12. He didn't do that, but the guys he brought in were were have exceeded their star level when you look at those three freshmen that came in, Nico Reed, Kayla Moore, right. and Tyron Taylor. So, uh, yeah, I, Demetrius Martin, you know, leaving for a school like Oregon doesn't shock me, but uh, it, it does kind of surprise me just the swap the way it took place. Right. I wonder how many times that's ever, ever happened. I'm sure it's happened before in all the history of football, but it it is a unique and odd sort of thing. And the one thing you got to say about Martin is he, he's clearly a good judge of talent because he took those three guys that were more lower recruited and they turned out pretty well. Um, But I think this is, you know, at the very least, like he's at the very least, it's an even swap. And I and I don't think we lose anything. So I I think that's I I think I feel pretty good about that one. All right. The next subtraction is Mark Perry that we're going to talk about here. I know the fan base is kind of split on whether this is good, neutral or bad attrition. I I personally would lean towards bad attrition, but but not devastating attrition either. Right. He definitely became more of a playmaker in his third season in the program still has two years of eligibility left. So you'd have to assume his best football is still ahead of him. Uh, But William, there were 18 players on CU's defense that had a better grade on pro football focus during the 2021 season than Perry, eight players graded out better that played at least 200 snaps. So he gave up more yards and coverage than any other buff defender. So he was not consistent, but I I liked the way he was trending and it would have been nice to have him around the program after you've, invested that time to develop him the way you have. Yeah. And I think he's probably the most controversial guy that's left at this point um, in terms of how, how people view him as a player. I think he was much more effective the year before. Uh, and I think they use him in a very different role. And I think the, the key for him is that you got to put him into a situation that works better for him. He just seems to, he just seems to have more impact when you play him closer to the line of scrimmage rather than dropping him back as more of a traditional safety. So I think he's a guy that you got to find his skill set and let him put that to use. You know, other, other people were convinced that he uh, will not hit and, and avoids contact. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I, I, I guess I didn't focus enough on the defensive backs to make that determination, but um, that's one of the knocks on him. I think he's a guy with a tremendous amount of athletic talent, in terms of size, speed, and ability to change directions and such. Uh, and so I think people expect him to be big time all the time. And he didn't really produce as much as people expected. And so there's disappointment as far as that goes. I, I think several people noted on the board, and I think they're probably correct, that, that to some extent he's, been, he's had guys move ahead of him um, in this past season, and it, maybe he wouldn't even be a starter next year. So I'd, I'd say that's kind of neutral to me. Depends on, you know, how we fill the spot, I guess. I did really enjoy getting to know Mark Perry as a person during his time in Boulder. And even back to when he was a recruit, he was my, one of my favorite recruits to talk to. Uh, you know, after this last season ended, after the Utah game, he fielded some tough questions. And he came up to Brian and I and shook us in the hand, looked us right in the eye and said, thanks. And he's a, a very mature young man. So I'm going to be rooting hard for him to have success wherever yeah. he goes. Um, it'll be interesting to see exactly where, where he does land. 
and uh, you know what success he has going forward. Addition, yeah. Vic Soto, did you have anything you want to add there on Mark? Curry? Yeah, I, I just want to say, you know, for the most part, I'm looking at all the guys we're going to talk about today, and they're all good. They all seem like good kids who uh, I wish them well, and I hope they really do well in their next spots. Yeah. All right, Vic Soto, the most well-received addition this offseason from the fan base, but it also did result in the subtraction of Brian Michalowski from the staff. So these kind of go a little bit hand-in-hand hand as well. Uh, what was your reaction to Vic Soto getting hired? Well, I'll take Vic Soto over over uh, Michael Alski 10 times out of 10 and, and twice on Sunday, however that saying goes. But I'm super excited about him. I think he's a young, high-energy guy. Uh, you know, he's been coaching. Uh, he's had two different stints as a defensive line coach at the Power 5 level at Virginia and Southern Cal. You know, uh, he, he he signed a five-star recruit at Southern Cal. And again, again like Rod Chance, we're going to find out how well he can translate that. It's a lot easier to sign guys at Southern Cal and Oregon than it is at CU. So we'll see what he does. But the bottom line is that he's an energetic recruiter, super high energy on the field. Um, you know, and if nothing else, uh, he looks the part of a defensive line coach, man. If our, if our defensive line looks like him, uh, they maybe play better. I don't know, but... I'm very excited to have him come to see you. Uh, I think having coached at, at the Southern Cal level and seeing the kind and you know work with the kind of athletes he has there, I'm excited about that. Uh, I like that he's from that Bronco Mendenhall background because I think he's a great coach. So I'm just super excited about everything he brings to us. I think he's going to bring a lot more energy and dedication to to uh, fundamentals and such. I don't know. It just felt to me like Chris Wilson was a little bit distracted from coaching the D line. I could be totally wrong on that, but I think Vic Soto is going to get a lot more out of the guys we already have. And I don't want to be too rough on this, but almost anybody's going to be better in the recruiting sense than um, Chris Wilson has been thus far. Cause we basically haven't signed any defensive linemen. So uh, I'm very excited about this. And I think that's a great pickup and, However, they reshuffle the defensive coaches. I'm super happy to have this guy on board because I think he's going to bring in some really good defensive linemen for us. You touched on a lot of this. Vixa Oto checks a lot of the boxes in terms of things that you want in assistant coach. You know, first from his experience playing the NFL and the fact that, like you alluded to, he looks like he should still be earning an NFL paycheck. So, He's going to get the respect from his current players, you would think. And then, yeah, from a recruiting standpoint, you know, he can connect with a lot of different areas of this. And I'm curious, William, do they start recruiting San Diego a little bit more than they have here in recent years? Because that's where he's originally from. He's a second cousin to the late, great Junior Seau. So he's got connections to a pretty talent-rich area that, that, again, the Buffs really haven't tapped into a whole lot. And I think that, you know, Obviously, San Diego has different weather than Boulder, but I don't think there's a major culture shock from some of those California kids coming over to Boulder. So, like you said, played at BYU, so you can connect with LDS prospects, can connect right. with Polynesian recruits. Right. That, that's uh, the one I was thinking of big time is uh, his connections to the poly community, both in Southern California and in Utah, because he played at BYU and probably out on the islands as well, I think is a huge thing for us. And then that NFL background not only obviously helps getting the respect to the guys you're coaching, but also that's something he can sell to recruits as well. So, and he does inherit a pretty decent group of core players on that defensive line, albeit like you alluded to, though, 
the depth is not really where you want it at that position, especially given that you're going to ro- ro- rotate so many guys in on the D line. Um, so I think that's an area you, you got to look to the portal to bring in a couple of defense alignment. Yeah, I think that's critical um, is to get a couple of defensive linemen who can play right now in the portal. And hopefully he is a guy who can help us do that. Yeah. All right. Another tough subtraction for the CU program, Christian Gonzalez. We mentioned there's some good young cornerbacks in the program, but William, this is your, your top pro prospect on the entire team. I I think Christian Gonzalez after one more year of college is probably going to be a top three round pick and could even possibly work his way into the first round with a really good third season in college. Yeah. I don't think it's a long stretch of the imagination to see him in the first day of the draft at all. Uh, You know, it's such a coveted position and he's got every, he's got all the intangibles, he's got all the measurables, certainly. Um, And then his play on the field speaks for itself. He is, I think he's, I think he's the best player on the team or was the best player on the team. And so losing him would be a huge blow. It's softened to some extent because of uh, some of the younger guys that have shown they can play at cornerback. Um, But there's really no getting past it. The fact that, that we're losing a lot on defense, you already lose Wells and Landman. And so if you're losing Gonzalez as well, that's a, that's a big blow on the defensive side. I think again with him, you know, it, it, his position coach that he was, close to it and is gone and um i think he probably wants to win football games i i again i don't think this is one of those things where he's going to look for nil money or things like that i think there's a lot of things directly related to football and his relationship with his coaches that play into this um you know maybe rod chance can win him back i don't know but uh it's definitely a, a big loss yeah, and our USC site was reporting that he's become a target for them. So that would hurt a little bit more, you know, the fact that not only would you lose him, uh, but you might have to go up against him in, in 2022. Yeah. I mean, I guess I don't, I mean, I don't know. I can't see it from his perspective, you know, at 21 or how old he is, but it seems like you got to go to a new program. You got to learn their system. You got to show those coaches you can play and you got to beat out whoever they got there. It's a lot harder road, I think, than staying here and playing another season in a system, you know, well, um, and then looking to get drafted, but you know, he has to weigh that out for himself. And obviously he's come to a different conclusion. Yeah. And the, and the other tough part of it, William, is the fact that you play him so much as a first year freshman in 2020, and he goes through those growing pains and you continue to develop him this year. And now he's season prime to be one of the best cornerbacks in college football in my eyes. And now all that effort you put into developing him, you don't reap the benefits of that for another year. So that's the other part of it that makes it tough to swallow. Well, and I think that that really illustrates the how the, the transfer portal is changing college football that, you know, to some extent every year you've got to keep recruiting your players and keep them, keeping them around and you have to develop a relationship. And I, and I put this right at the head coach level because – Assistant coaches come and go, and if the head coach doesn't have a relationship with his players, when those assistant coaches go, those kids are going to go because that's who they're connected to, right? So um, I, I I certainly have not been shy on the board about pointing a finger at Carl Durrell and wondering why he doesn't have a better relationship with some of these guys to keep him around because that's really what, you, what it comes down to. I know there's been a lot of talk on the board. If you don't love CU, then get out. Well, you know, it's not as simple as that. Uh, and, and there's a lot that goes into leadership that creates the unit 
uh, cohesion. I'm using some military terms, unit cohesion and, and guys wanting to be part of a, of a, of a program or a team and what have you. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, that's on the coaches to create that. It's not on the kids to make that happen. And it should be pointed out with guys like Christian Gonzalez and Brennan Rice. I mean, these were guys that signed with Mel Tucker. And so now all four of those blue chip recruits that signed in that 2020 class are either in the portal or they've left already. Uh, you know, that, that needs to be pointed out as well is, you know, these guys didn't sign with, with Carl Durrell. So uh, maybe you can have better cohesion with the guys that have signed on with Durrell here these last two years, but um, it, it's tough to stay optimistic again, when you, you lose your top pro prospect, not only on defense, but I think Brennan Rice was their top pro prospect on offense as well. Um, Let's move along. Another addition is Kyle Devan, a little bit of a lesser known commodity coming in as an assistant coach than Vic Sooto and Rod Chance. But, you know, he did serve as an offensive line coach in the PAC 12 at Arizona for two years, was a valued member as an analyst at Michigan this past season. Jason Shear, who's very brutally honest, said it was kind of hard to judge Devan while he was in Arizona because the program was just such a mess under Kevin Sumlin, but he did say the players really loved Kyle Devan. We saw with Mitch Rodriguez how important that is. You know, playing O line is not fun, so you better love your O line coach. So that that part of it, I like to hear. Another young guy, thirty six years old. Yeah, and I, I don't want to touch on that last thing you said. I, I don't think most people know the extent to which the offensive lineman on this team did not like Mitch Rodriguez and did not like playing for him. And I'm not just taking that from the the whatever that the, the Twitter or whatever I don't know you know what I'm talking about was, Twi- was, the Twitterverse. <laughs> yeah, well, the you know the, the 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 one of the kids on the team that was answering all the questions. I don't get that. I get that from different different sources that those players did not like playing for Rotary, and I think that makes a big difference because you know um, playing offensive line is hard. And you don't get a lot of glory. And if you don't like the coach you're playing for, it that makes it even that much harder. I like Kyle Devan a lot. And his he he's already coached the offensive line, you know. So one thing people don't seem to haven't seemed to notice is that he actually was a uh, assistant offensive line coach for the New Orleans Saints for a couple of years, which means he was there um, helping their line coach and probably learning a lot about technique and what have you. He also played four or five years in the NFL and actually started at guard in a Super Bowl. So he's another young guy who can sell that experience to to high school players and transfers and whatever as a guy who's played in the NFL, coached in the NFL, and knows what goes on there. He uh, was an inside guy in college. you know. So he played four years. At, he was a four-year starter at, at Oregon State, coached at Arizona, so he's certainly got a background on the Pac-12, knows what this conference is all about. He was also the offensive line coach for a couple of years at Ball State, uh, which is traditionally a pretty good running team. So he's not a guy who's coming in green as an offensive line coach. I presume, you know, he was offensive um, analyst at Michigan. And I would assume, I don't know one way or the other, but I would assume that he had something to do with their offensive line this year. And they were voted the best offensive line in the country. So He's certainly been around offensive line programs. Um, you know, he's certainly been around the Pac-12. He's been in the NFL. He's another young guy with a lot of energy, and you've seen some of the, the uh, videos of him, and he's a high-energy coach. And I like the fact that we got two young competitive guys now as the defensive line coach and the offensive line coach because they're going to want to compete with each other, and, and they're going to want their guys to beat the other guys' guys. And, 
that creates a sort of a level of competition in practice that I don't think we've had because um, we haven't had these kinds of, of offensive line coaches and defensive line coaches. So I'm excited to see Soto and Devan come in at the same time. Devan himself was a 6'2", 305-pound guard. Um, so his his natural background is more inside. We'll see, I'm sure, working with Michigan and and. Arizona and the Saints and whatever. I'm sure he's got plenty of background working with tackles as well. So I'm excited to see him come in and it'll be interesting to see what he does in terms of recruiting. I've gotten the question and we don't have an answer yet of what does this mean for William Vallejos, who seemed to do a pretty solid job the final five weeks of the 2021 season, taking over that online group. Vallejos was a quality control coach before. Uh, Maybe he'll continue on in that role, but the coaches convention is taking place in San Antonio this month. And so you, you don't see that, that coaching movement start to really slow down here in, until a little bit later this month. So we'll see on that. It would be nice to have Vallejos around, uh, but the, you know, William Vallejos was viewed as a possible permanent replacement there. So the fact that Devan interviewed for this job and got it, you know, in, in, in Vallejos is not going to be, you know, the permanent guy there, uh, you know, tells you the, that, you know, Devan, did a pretty darn good job of convincing the staff that, uh, he, you know, he, he impressed them during the interview process. Yeah. And he's clearly impressed, uh, you know, other people involved with the program as well. Um, you know, so I, I am very happy. I, I think he is at the top of what we could hope for and expect as an offensive line coach here at Colorado. I think he's the closest we could come to actually stealing another power five teams, offensive line coach. And so I really like that hire and I think it fits our needs quite well. Um, like, you know, I, I, I keep going back to this on the board, you know, Michigan, I wouldn't say they've struggled under Harbaugh, but you know, they haven't been what Michigan expects every year. And then last year at the end of that season, he shook up his staff and he went with youth. I mean, he brought in five or six young high energy guys and it totally re rebuilt the, uh, attitude of that team and you look what they did this year so i like that approach i like bringing in young hungry um energetic guys uh they were you know respond better player to the players maybe because of the closer in age but I, i'm excited about this hire next subtraction we're going to talk about is tight end alec pell he played limited you know I don't know. Would you chalk this into the category of bad attrition, neutral tradition, uh, attrition, or good attrition? Where, where, where do you kind of see this? You did need to thin out that tight ends group a little yeah. bit, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think you need to thin it out, but he's a guy that played a lot. And I, you know, we had, he's another one that's controversial on the board. Some people say, well, he's no loss. Well, you know, he played a lot. And I thought he played well in the role that he was given. And I thought, uh, it, you know, people say, well, he didn't catch many pets. Well, you know what? Nobody caught many passes this year, but I thought he's a guy who did quite well in a lot of different areas. And he, and he's the kind of guy who is the core of any good team. You know, you got to have a lot, everybody's not a star. You need to have a lot of guys who are, you know, lunch pail guys and show up and, and do a lot of different things well. Uh, and I think he's one of those guys. I think he would have continued to get better each year. And so I think he's a guy who did enough for us in different areas that I think we're going to miss him. So I would put it, I would put it in bad attrition, but you know, it, it's not really, I don't know. It's, it's not, I, I'm not trying to think of the right wording, but you know, I, I would put it in bad, but not that bad. 
Okay. I, I did like Alec Pell's mentality as a football player. You know, he's a guy that was physical, like to get his hands dirty. Like you said, you need guys like that in your program. I'd be really curious to see how those other tight ends, you know, beyond Brady Russell develop because they've got some young guys there, but uh, you know, haven't played a ton of football quite to this point. Let's move along to the next addition, Mike Sanford, the new offensive coordinator. William, this was the most controversial hire of the offseason. I feel like it it just kind of it just shows to it shows you how quickly the perception of a coach can change. I mean, he was viewed as an up-and-comer, but then Minnesota's passing game got worse under him the last couple of years. And uh, the Gophers move on. And, and then, of course, that's going to result in, in a negative reaction from some CU fans. You know, the fact that only the service academies threw the ball less in the FBS ranks than the Gophers this, this past year. What, what were your thoughts on Mike Sanford getting hired? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I kind of fell into, well, I think I pretty clearly fell into the underwhelmed category and, and not real thrilled about that hire. Um, but it is, it's also interesting in that it, it really illustrates how, uh, what your mindset is towards somebody can really determine what you pick out of their background to, uh, point out. So there are people on the board that think he's great and look at all the great things he's done. And then there's people on the board say, well, man, he's no good. He got fired. He, he, and it's sometimes you wonder if they're talking about the same guy, but they certainly are, um, I don't know. I felt like, again, he was a guy we hired that that was got fired. Nobody else was really going after him. It's not like he was in high demand. It really kind of felt to me like, once again, we took a guy we didn't really have to fight and compete for because it was the easiest way to go. So I'm not super excited about it. Uh, we'll see. You know, that the thing that stands out to me about his last his last year is that he had one of the biggest and one of the best offensive lines in the country. He had good running backs and whatever, and yet their offense was no great shakes. And so I'm kind of, I look at that and I think to myself, well, what's he going to do with what we got? Um, but we'll wait and see what happens and see what they do as far as, as an offense. I, you know, I, I think we've got a much better offensive line coach. We'll see who the receivers coach is. Um, but maybe that type of offense is a better fit for Brendan Lewis. I don't know. Uh, so I, I, I'm trying not to be negative, but I don't feel real positive about it. Yeah, that's fair. You know, I don't think you should bury a guy before he has ever called a play for the buffs. <laughs> you know, right. that, that seems to be uh, a little bit of an overreaction, but definitely, you know, maybe some hesitancy with, with the hire and Hey, you know, kind of a, you better show me and I'm not going to be super excited about until, you know, but, but what this does, William, it, it does solidify what Carl Durrell's vision for this program is offensively. Right. But it also puts a lot of pressure on Shannon Turley and Kyle Devan. I mean, they, they got to get that offensive line figured out. You can't have right. a run heavy offense if you, if you can't move the line of scrimmage. Well, you know, along those lines, it's a lot easier to, uh, you know, my experience as an offensive line coach, it's a lot easier to get the run game fixed than it is to get pass protection fixed. So that stands in their favor. You know, I would say from one perspective, um, at the very least, Mike Sanford is head and shoulders, you know, multiple times better than what we had the last two years. So I think that's certainly an improvement over what we had. 
and I suppose I'm looking at it in terms of what else I think we could have gotten. But so I, I think he's an improvement for sure. I, I guess, you know, I just keep coming back right there in the middle. Like, well, maybe it'll work out. Maybe it's better. But, man, I, I really would have expected more. But, yeah, I think it does really uh, mean that Turley and Devan have to get that offensive line group settled down and, and working. The nice thing I think about his offenses, though, is that they do really focus on the tight end. And we got some tight end talent on this team if we start to use it. Will this hire define the Carl Durrell era? I, I kind of thought going in that this was going to be wh- whether this offensive coordinator hire is successful or not successful will probably determine whether Carl Durrell is successful or not at CU. Well, I think that's absolutely correct. You know, if um, if we don't put enough off, you know, if we put a if we put a little bit more offense on the field last year, we probably get six games in a bowl game, and we're probably in a much different place mentally and emotionally about this team. So if he gives us enough more offense that we can get six wins or seven wins, then yeah, it's going to be a, a look like a huge success for Carl Durrell, and he's going to get another year. But you know, if we come in worse than we were last year and didn't don't show a whole lot of improvement on offense, then then it's going to define him in the opposite direction. So yeah, I think this this hire is uh, a big piece of his legacy. A subtraction to talk about briefly here is Chris Carpenter, a receiver that is going to UTSA to play for the Roadrunners. He's got a lot of speed, but he wasn't a guy that I, I think was going to be an integral part of this program going forward. So I, I definitely didn't view this as bad attrition. Yeah, I didn't think too much. Didn't think it was too bad. I mean, he was a guy that did a few things last year that were that were fun, and he's got that speed. So at any given moment, he can do something for you. He, he, he's a good uh, piece of the puzzle, I guess, for, for an offense, you know, a, fourth or fifth wide receiver but I think the fact that he where he wound up kind of shows the level where he belongs so and so I I agree with you the one addition part of the transfer portal so far to come in is Maddox Kopp a quarterback from the Houston area he was an elite 11 finalist in 2020 uh, redshirted at Houston this past year so he's got four years of eligibility remaining good frame what are your thoughts on Maddox Kopp coming into this quarterback competition in Boulder well, I'm excited about him. I think that's a really good addition to the quarterback room. Um, you know, he was a guy who was fairly highly regarded out of high school. He's got the size at 6'5 to um, really be able to see downfield. And I, I I think he kind of fits the kind of offense they're talking about. You know, so I, I'm, I'm excited. I think it's going to bring more competition to that quarterback room and we needed a, we needed a body in there and not just a warm body, but I think he's certainly a guy who can play and uh, play well for us. So I'm excited about that one. A subtraction. And this one, I don't think surprised us if he had followed along the, uh, the Ashad Clayton saga that, that it was dating back to his recruitment. It seemed to be only a matter of time before he was going to move on. Uh, he, he transfers to a program a little bit closer to home in Tulane. And so he's he's got a lot of attributes you really like William right I wouldn't say bad I wouldn't say good or bad attrition I kind of say neutral just given how things were trending with him throughout his time in Boulder yeah and I think he's a guy that because he had the four stars after his name that uh, everybody expected huge things from him and it didn't ever really develop he had a couple of moments uh, in his first year here where he showed me good vision and good feet and what have you but he never just really seemed to uh, 
catch on or I don't know, you know, I don't know what it was in practice, but it was very telling to me that at the end of this season, it was Deion Smith that came on as the third running back instead of Clayton, uh, which tells me that, that, you know, Clayton just was not meant for this level. I don't, I don't think. And, you know, there are certain people on the board that say, well, he didn't get a fair shot. Well, that's not true. He got, he got as fair a shot as anybody else. And he didn't get a, he didn't get to play. And when Deion Smith was in there as a third running back, he looked really good to me. So losing a fourth running back, maybe, you know, fourth at best running back off the squad is not a big loss to me. And I, and I'm probably good for him to get back closer to home at, at a, at a lower level of play. Yeah, you said what was really telling to you, what was really telling to me is when this past season, when Ashad Clayton wasn't playing, when we had a chance to talk to Darian Hagan, we asked about Ashad Clayton, and he said, well, Ashad Clayton hasn't learned how to play through some nicks and bumps. And so I, I think that was you know, an issue with this staff is that there might have been more of an opportunity with him to, to get some playing time this past season, but it didn't seem like he was willing to come back from that minor procedure and, and really battle to get back. And maybe, maybe he had it in his mind already that, Hey, I'm going to transfer. So uh, I want a red shirt and preserve, you know, that, that year of eligibility that that's probably the most likely scenario, right? Yeah. Who, you know, it's hard to say who knows, you know, what's going through a kid's head, but certainly toughness is an underrated aspect of this game. And if you can't play, you know, it's like, I think coach McCarty used to say there's uh, he said, playing hurts no no thing everybody plays hurt you know the question is are you injured you know if you can't play hurt at this level you can't play because there's always going to be something hurting um and if he didn't have the toughness to do that and to, to stick his head in there and practice and what have you then you can't trust him in the games it's like again you know no matter how, no matter how you come around to it i just don't feel like it's a big loss to the program i i think it's i think it's a very disappointing loss to the program because when he came in, we all had visions of him being that multi-year thousand-yard back, and he just never developed into that. Another addition, Isaac Hurtado. William, I actually really like this pickup uh, from the JUCO ranks. Uh, a kid with a really great head on his shoulders, plays very physical football. Uh, was a running back in high school, and he's going to be a linebacker now. He played well, more as a kind of an outside linebacker at the JUCO level, but I wouldn't be surprised if Hurtado's starting or at least a heavy rotation player at inside linebacker in 2022. Yeah, and I agree. I like him a lot, too. I think he's got great size. I think about 6'2", 6'3", and 220 coming in. And, you know, he he was not just a run. He was a darn good running back in high school. And you look at some of his running back film his senior year of high school, he was very good, uh, had good vision, good feet. And I want to say it was might have been Mike McIntyre who used to say that running that good running backs make good linebackers. Did you re, do you remember that saying? Yeah. Somebody? Yep. He did. Mike McIntyre did. Yep. Yeah, and, and I always thought that was true. I always liked that. Um, and so that that certainly is where he is. He was a really good running back who makes a really good linebacker. And so I think that uh, he's certainly going to be in the mix. He hits hard. He seems to have good instinct. Um, and so I think he is a really good pickup. And I'm. I'm I'm pleased. I guess uh, I, I'm excited to see him. Is he, he? Will he be here for spring ball? He will. Yep. He was a full qualifier at a high school. So okay. So so he'll get. Yeah, he'll get spring ball and winter conditioning and all that sort of thing. So that'll be a real advantage for him. And I would not be surprised if he doesn't uh, nail down one of those starting inside linebacker spots. The next subtraction we're going to talk about is safety. Trust in Oliver played some on special teams, but William, he seemed to be far from getting on the field in a real meaningful way there at safety. 
Yeah, and I think he's another guy that you look at and, and, and just purely from size and speed and athleticism, you think, well, he's going to be a superstar. But I don't think he was ever going to factor on this team. You know, he plays at a position at safety where, where they needed guys to step forward. And, you know, he's already behind uh, at least one true freshman. I, I don't think he was ever going to be a factor to play much here, except maybe on special teams. And certainly at his size and speed, he ought to be a special teams terror, and he really wasn't. So... Uh, that's certainly good attrition to me. You mentioned Trevor Woods' emergence, but with Mark Perry entering the portal as well, you're going to need to bring in one or two, probably two experienced safeties, right? I mean, from the portal. Yeah, I would think so. Um, you know, we, we got, I think we got it. We got, got two starters coming back and we'll see what, what we develop in spring ball, but it'd be nice to bring in a couple of uh, high level safeties. Let's do this addition and subtraction together because they kind of went, I wouldn't say hand in hand, but they were the two signing day surprises. Grant Page flips from Nebraska late in the process, signs with CU, surprises everybody. When he signed with CU, he still had his commitment announcement to Nebraska pinned to the top of his Twitter page. So he knew he was going to have some fun with people on signing day. Uh, And then the subtraction, Kenny Soares, Northwestern offers him at 9 p.m. the night before the early signing day. and you know, when a kid signs with a Stanford or a Northwestern, it makes it a little bit more palatable just accepting their decision. Obviously, CU offers a really good education. It's nothing yeah. to scoff at, but, you know, that, that's the next level there. I don't know. You know, everybody says that on the board, and I, I, I've never bought that too much. It, I, it's, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know to what extent some of these guys really are looking at the educational aspects of, of Stanford and Northwestern. It, it, I, I think CU is a good enough education that you're going to do just fine there. I, I don't, I, I just don't, I, I just don't like that excuse. I just really don't, but that's just me. I think what really strikes me though, is that, you know, nine 30 at night, the night before they offer him and he jumps on it, which says to me, maybe he didn't really ever really want to come here. He was just holding us as a placeholder and hoping for something better. Uh, I'm disappointed because I thought he was one of the top, kids in our class and and I thought he was another guy who could compete for a lot of early playing time at at one of those inside linebacker spots so losing Kenny Soros to me was a big deal and getting Grant Page and certainly taking him from Nebraska is great and a lot of fun but I just can't see where another wide receiver uh is an equal to losing a really good inside linebacker prospect because I think linebacker is much more a position of need right now. But I, I like I like seeing Grant Page and I'm excited to have him on board. Um, I think all things being equal, I'd rather had Kenny Soares, but that's just a positional thing more so than anything about either one of the kids. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I do my signing class awards every year, and I wait till after the February signing period, just to have the full group to, to evaluate. Kenny Soares was probably a top candidate to be my favorite defensive signee had he stuck with the buffs. I really did like him. He, yeah. he didn't have a lot of ton of fanfare when he committed last summer, but his senior film was, was really, really fun to watch against right. some questionable competition, but still it, it was his size speed combo is really impressive. I think more than I did lump grand page and Kenny Soares together here, but I think more than anything, if, Isaac Hurtado comes in and proves to be a really good player. Then it makes the Kenny Soares defection less impactful, right? Because I don't think yeah. they ne- would have necessarily offered Hurtado had Soares not flipped. 
Yeah, and I think that's a good that's a good way to look at it um, for sure. That I think with Kenny Soares, maybe they don't have a, that they don't go after Hurtado, but he is a, certainly a good consolation prize there at, at inside linebacker. If you if if that's fair enough uh, term, I don't know if consolation prize means something really bad, but um, you know, it's always nice to flip a kid from another P five and nothing's better than flipping a kid from Nebraska in terms of, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, I, I guess on some level, it's better to flip a kid from Alabama or Georgia or something like that. But Hey, you know, uh, the way I feel towards the Cornhuskers taking somebody from them is, is a double win, but, uh, and you know, Grant Pay certainly is a talent and we'll see what he does in the, in the, um, wide receiver room. He's another one of those kids that's tall and fast, and that sort of seems to be the the framework for wide receivers these days. So I think he's certainly a good pickup. Yeah, he's the highest-ranked in-state signing for the Buffs since they signed Dimitri Stanley in 2018. And Paige is going to be an early enrollee because he's coming back from the torn ACL. He's not going to be participating in spring ball, but, you know, like he told me, hey, I can at least get up there and learn the playbook and learn what it's like to be a college student. So uh, he'll be one of those guys that join the yeah. mix here later this month. And, you know, with Demetri Stanley and um, uh, who's the freshman wide receiver this year? Uh, Chase Henry and Ty Robinson. And yeah. You know, Montel so Lamonius Craig. I'm, I'm just – but I, what I was focusing on was these – it was the in-state wide receiver prospects seem to do really well. And so, you know, maybe Grant Page is another one just like that. Yeah. And like you said, you're not going to have to wear that god-awful Nebraska red. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, he grew up wearing red for, for uh, Fairview, I guess. But, uh, yeah, he didn't have to go out there <laughs> living stinking Lincoln either. Another addition, this happens the day before the early signing day. So we didn't talk about him on our signing day preview show, is wide receiver Chance Sowell. Uh, big target. Our Texas analyst, Gabe Brooks, really liked the late pickup and said it wasn't a reach despite his lack of power five offers. Not trying to be Mr. Spin here, William, because Colorado, they do. They need to compete and win out against more power five programs for more recruits without it, without question. But when you look at Sowell, this is a guy that was really focused on baseball unless he was in season with football. And so he's got some upside there in terms of being a pretty raw guy and with his size. Uh, I, I do like uh, taking a gamble on a guy like this. Yeah. And you don't mind, you know, you don't mind having a couple of guys like him in a, in a recruiting class that are, that are uh, sort of somewhat out of left field, I guess, but certainly have the measurables. I mean, he at six three one eighty five, he's got great size and he certainly can run, you know, and as a baseball player, uh, you assume he's going to have pretty good hands and hand-eye coordination. You know, like I think he said in one of his interviews, talking about, hey, you know, a baseball is a lot smaller than a football, so it's a lot easier to catch the football. Well, that kind of makes kind of makes sense to my lineman uh, Neanderthal brain. But uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I, he, he's he's a. I look at I look at the teams that he had offers from, and it kind of makes me cringe. But then I don't know. You know, if he can play, he can play. And certainly some of the kids we brought in last year um, that, that didn't have big offers turned out to look pretty good on the field this year as well. So we'll see what he does. Like, again, you know, one player in a class is not a big deal. Um, but I do want to harp on that a little bit. To, you know, we got to start competing with P5 teams. And, and I'm not saying we got to go out there and beat out Nebraska and Michigan and Georgia and old schools for teams. But you know what? 
we should be beating out the Arizonas and the Washington States and maybe the Kentuckys and the uh, Iowa States and whatever. I think we can compete at that level. And um, that's what I'd like to see moving forward. But I don't have any problem with uh, Chase Soul because I do think he brings a lot to the to the table in terms of his size and speed and really nice hands. And one last subtraction to talk about is Danny Langsdorf. After coaching the Buffs quarterbacks the last two years, he's reportedly going to be Temple's offensive coordinator. Th- this makes a lot of sense just with the Mike Sanford yeah. hire, right? Because now you know that Sanford's going to coach the quarterbacks and you can bring in a receivers coach. Right. And I, you know, and I, and you know, I think that was sort of a foregone conclusion when when they made that offensive coordinator hire. Um, I really didn't think that we're going to see Langford move or see him stick around or move to a different position or anything else like that. So that just kind of makes sense to me. And then you get your wide, get a wide receivers coach in here um, and finish that, finish that offensive staff out to be Sanford staff and and not have somebody from the previous regime kind of hanging around. So that doesn't surprise me too much. Uh, Don't feel real bad about it. We'll see what happens. I mean, and I think we're we're losing Michaelowski too, right? We touched on that earlier. Yeah. Yep. With Langsdorf, I would have liked him to at least get that opportunity to call plays at CU when you yeah. had the bye week and you could have made a change. Yeah, and I look back on that and I just wonder what the heck, you know. I I and and then there's always there's been speculation ever since on the board who was actually calling plays this year. And, and I guess we just have to assume that it was Shiverini all the way through. Um, and, you know, then some people are wondering, was this really uh, uh, Carl Terrell's offense? Did they switch play callers at some point? But, um, yeah, it would have been interesting to me to see Langsdorf take over to play calling and see what he could have done with that. Um, but since that didn't happen and since they kind of went, in the, well, they went to totally different direction with their offensive coordinator. I kind of feel like he had to go and, and that was a natural move. Yeah. Yeah. He did. He helped Brendan Lewis develop, not to the rate that yeah, anybody wanted. Sure. And Sam Neuer, I mean, he had a good season under his tutelage before that shoulder injury just kept getting worse, but yeah, I, I agree. I don't, this isn't a coach that you shed a tear over leaving. Right. Right. And I, and I want to, and I agree with you totally. I think he did a good job when he was here, but it's not a huge loss. I mean, you know, I don't, it's, it's not like he was recruiting lights out or anything. He, he did things well. He didn't do anything superstar that you feel real bad if he's leaving. Um, and again, I just feel like it was natural and kind of had to happen once they uh, went the direction they did with the offensive coordinator. Yeah. And there's going to be more additions and subtractions, mm-hmm. obviously uh, guys coming in from the portal um, and they need a new receivers coach. So, William, it, it was great catching up with you, and then just so much that happened since yeah. the last time we did a podcast. Yeah, I, I, you know, I I, I want to say it's fun, but you know, I'm, I'm not sure if it's a fun time at, at CU. It's, it seems like a pretty contentious time on the board these days, but uh, I guess that's the nature of the, of the beast. But um, I think we got, I think we, I think we saw enough overall in terms of um, additions. We talked additions and subtractions here today, and I think we're. I think overall, I, I kind of feel like, um, at the end of the day, when you put them all together, we kind of came out ahead, for the most part, in the additions, more additions than subtractions. I, I, I really like, Soto and uh, Chance and Devan added to the coaching staff. I, I just really think all three of those are brilliant, and Mike Sanford. I'll put a question mark on and wait and see. Um, 
And then in terms of players, I think you know, we've lost more than we've brought in so far, but we still have to wait and see what happens with the transfer portal. And, um, you know, I think they got to get a couple of defensive linemen. I'd like to see a, 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 at least one or two offensive linemen that can start. I'm not sure exactly what their list of priorities are in the portal, um, but those two seem like would be top of the list and a, and a safety. So those the two lines and the safety, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Yep. And that's from my sources. That's, that is going to be the plan. Uh, I did find it interesting. I thought maybe inside linebacker would be another spot, but as of the last time I checked in on that, it didn't sound like that was going to be a, a transfer priority at inside linebacker. So yeah, I, guess, I guess maybe they think Hurtado was the guy. I don't know. But yeah, I would say at this point, I feel better about the defensive staff overall. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, to me, um, Rod Chance and, and Vic Soto really make that defensive staff a lot better. And, you know, from top to bottom, I'm pretty excited about that side of the ball. And and I just – I don't want to jump all over Chris Wilson, but I'm just happy to have a defensive line coach focused on coaching the defensive line. Yeah. Yep, no question. Well, William, uh, we got to catch up again many times this offseason because I always enjoy doing that, and we'll work around your schedule. But uh, thanks for joining me and, and running through this long list of guys coming and going. It's my pleasure. And, 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 you know, here's hoping that the, you know, every year this is the year to see you football will break through. And, you know, Adam, I, I, I want to have them have success for you as much as for anybody, because you've worked so hard for this site and you deserve it. I got to tell you this. It's such a strange gig, William. I, I can't get out the pom-poms and be, be a cheerleader, but my livelihood depends on, you know, this program yeah. and, you know, the page views and the subscriptions and all that, that in the interest in the program that goes up when CU does well. And so, you know, we're, we're doing just fine. You know, we're, yeah. we're making, we're making ends meet, but uh, I, I see some, I see some of my colleagues that, you know, have success and it's hard not to get a little envious of, you know, the fact that they get right. to cover bowl games on a more consistent well, basis. And, you know, you look at some people bring up site, well, I get more information on the Michigan site. Well, yeah, they got a staff, man. You know, they got so many subscribers, they can actually hire people to help them. So, you know, win more games and we'll get you more information. Yeah. All right, William, I appreciate you as always. And I appreciate everybody out there for continuing to listen to Buff Stampede Radio. Thanks for yeah. tuning in.